After a career that spanned 20 seasons, our guest today has recently hung up his wheels for good. He won over 80 races, raced 25 Grand Tours, 63 Classics, with a style of class and aggression and an understanding and implementation of tactics like very few ever have. He owns a bike shop and has also recently wrote a book which is surely a great gift for Under the Christmas Tree this year. It's an honor to have him on our show today, as he was always one of our favorite riders. So get a cup of hot chocolate and enjoy our chat today with Philippe Gilbert. All right, welcome Philippe Gilbert to Bobby and Jens. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Man, it is so great having you on the podcast. I mean, Jens and I have been big fans of you you for a while, but you know, you recently uh, hung up the wheels. So, how is retired life treating you? And by the way, welcome to the other side of the barriers, like Jens and I. Yeah, yeah, it's great. You know, after twenty years of a pro cyclist, um, it's a big step, like you said, and. Uh, I'm really happy now that the the cold days are coming, you know, and I, I don't have to ride, you know, I ride only if I want and if I have time, but I don't have to go out every day and ride in, in, in the rain, in the cold and, you know, have this process of, you know, restarting at the training with a, a, a lower condition, which we never like, you know, so this I, I enjoy. Yeah. Here's another thing you probably gonna enjoy. I'm retired now for seven years, right? And I believe in this seven years, I probably only had to pay three times for my own beer. That's good. So you will you will probably until the end of your life never ever have to pay for your own beer because people always will, hey, that's Philip Gilbert. Let's have a drink together. So that's another nice bonus that you don't have to take care of the weight anymore, right? Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, this I don't have the experience yet, but uh, maybe it will come. But uh, it's true that I have, a, I have a lot of invitation to do many, many different things. And uh, it's always, you know, the, the, the problem to find a balance, you know, to say yes or no and then, you know, focus on what you want, which is for me like uh, the free time, the family and uh, and my projects, you know, so not going everywhere and, and losing myself in, in different ways, you know. So this is also new because when you're a cyclist, it's easy to say no because you have to train, you have to rest and you need a simple life. But when you become a, a normal person, um, people maybe understand less that uh, you cannot go everywhere and that uh, you have to make you free, which is not true anyway. So it's uh it's hard to say no sometimes but you gotta admit you've probably been just out of out of habit right over the last 20 years this is about the time we're recording in the beginning of december this is about the time where you had to spain for a training camp and and whatnot isn't it a little bit weird like you're looking at your emails expecting to see like a little uh flight plan or a travel plan and it's not there anymore yeah, actually, I saw now in the last days, I saw all the guys uh, traveling to Spain or different countries to go uh, riding in the sun and in good weather conditions. And I'm, I'm home and I don't have to fly there. So it's a, it's a great feeling because, you know, I like this, these uh, December camps, but they're also, you know, heavy work. It's not only riding, but it's 
all the meetings with uh, the training camps, all the pictures with the new jerseys and uh, it's like also the media and it's a lot of uh, things to do in these 10 days. So I'm happy that uh, I don't have to go there anymore. So do you feel a little more relaxed now or you still like check your bike every morning and then you go, oh no, I don't need it anymore. And what does your kids say to that, that you at home now so much more? Yeah, I'm, actually I don't have this feeling of missing uh, my bike. I, I did some little rides, but uh, the maximum was uh, one time uh, three hours and then I had uh, a few times uh, two hours really easy with my wife or with friends or with the kids, but uh, really, really light, really light program, yeah. Man, man, I, I think those people along the Board de Mer um, out towards Cannes and past that are going to miss you because I remember you'd always do that Board de Mer this time of year because it was too cold to ride up in the up in the mountains. But man, oh man, I tell you, I, I just remember thinking back to... 20 some odd years ago, you know, you were like this, this fresh, young, aggressive kid racing for Francis de Jeu. And I was like, wait, you know, he's not French, but he speaks perfect French. And, you know, gosh, he's freaking super strong. What are some of your memories now that, you know, your career is over about those early days? I mean, you were at Francis de Jeu for what, seven, six years, seven years, six, six years. Yeah. No, I remember you guys. You were like teammates and CSC, I think, uh, back then. I think it was a big year for you, 2003. And uh, you were all flying and all uh, experienced riders. It was a strong group uh, with uh, you two. It was uh, Jakske and... Uh, Mikila Bartoli. Bartoli was there. Uh, I, I did... Uh, Few, few races with you and uh, I was watching you and saying, oh, these guys, you know, they have another engine and it's another level. And, um, you know, I was coming back home and, and saying, oh, now I have to train even more to, to be able to follow them, you know. So you were my motivation back then. Thank you. That is very nice of you. My first memories is also of you in that jersey, FDJ. In the two Mediterranean. Yeah. Um, I won the first stage, had the jersey, and you attacked so hard on a climb towards the end of the second stage. And it was you and me alone. Yeah. I and then I think since we were looking at each other a little bit, some people came back on a descent. And I believe Kim Kirchen ended up winning the stage. And maybe you were second on a stage. I can't no, remember. I won but the stage. Yeah. Oh, you won the stage. Ah, okay. <laughs> but I remember I the attack with you. And then, you know, I. I I remember exactly because I knew you had the jersey and I said, uh, well, even if he's older, I put pressure on him and he have to ride. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but you didn't really want to ride. So they came back and then I still uh, managed to win in a sprint. But uh, I was not afraid to play the game, you know. So it was, uh, it was uh, a nice, uh, nice race that day. Yeah. Definitely it was because I put straight in my books, watch this guy in the future. Because yeah. you could see the potential <laughs> end. That you were just fearless. You go, okay, yeah, maybe Jens is a little older than me, more experienced, but I don't care. I give it a go. Exactly. And you did make a really fantastic career out of it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. But talking about playing the game, Phil, like there is no one that I know that had the tactical sense that you had. You know, you, you rode with class and elegance. You know, you were quite aggressive, but like, your tactics, where did you learn, like from a very young age, just like what you just explained a story from your second or third year pro, 
Um, where did you learn that? Um, I, I started, you know, uh, my brother, my big brother was a cyclist and it's a big difference uh, of age between him and me. So I was uh, going to see him racing. And then when my, when my time was coming, I said, I also want to ride, race, you know, but I was going to see this race like uh, you, uh, 13, uh, you know, 12, 13 and 14. And it was like, uh, you know, in Belgium, just uh, laps of one kilometer, just turning like around the church. And then uh, like you did like 20 K, so things like that. And I said, Oh, this I don't want to do. I prefer to stay on my mountain bike and ride in the in the Ardennes uh, alone. And when uh, I came to you uh, 15 and 16, then I started racing. But I didn't want to have a team because I said uh, I saw you know the, the all the stress of the parents, the expectation of the team, and I said I don't want this. I just want to enjoy and see first if I can you know, be able to ride and race at the, a good level. So I started uh, as an individual. So I was uh, by myself and, uh, you know, I was quickly winning. And then, you know, you have uh, in this small uh, village, uh, you know, races, you have everyone against you because you're alone and they have they have uh, teams, you know. And then I had to be smart to, to beat them. And then I think I, I learned to race alone there and then to to be smart to be able to win you know because you you were my trainer later you know so you you can tell also that i don't have the biggest uh, engine of the of the world tour you know so i have a good engine but not the best so i always have to play smart to be able to win you know so yeah i think because all 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 these different things i had to be smart and then yeah it has helped me to to achieve big results, yeah. So um, back in these days, as a young kid, who was your hero in sports? Was it still Eddie Merckx or Plunkett or Freddie Mertens? Or who was the cyclist you looked up to? Or you didn't really follow that so much? No, no, I was watching uh, all the races. And then I was, uh, it was your your generations uh, with, uh, I was really watching like, uh, yeah, the... Um, It's it's sad to speak about him now because with what happened. But uh, Rebellin, you know, um, Bettini, Bartoli, Boger, Schmissel, uh all these guys. Like I was really sharing for them because they were like uh, all attacking, all make look. Vinokurov also, you know, all these guys like they were like uh, flying, you know, not scared to attack. Also, you when you won, you were second in Liège with uh, with Vino attacking like uh, 70 or 80 k's to go um this made me dreams you know so it was uh all you guys like really motivate me to become a, a cyclist you know Jeez. thank you i mean it's it's just so fun talking to you because over the years you're you're obviously one of the best cyclists with palmares that most guys can only dream of but you've always really kept it on the down low and, and simple, you know, you being Belgian and the pressure of being so successful as a Belgian, but not living in Belgium, you know, you made your, your, your home in Monaco. Was that a conscious choice on your part to, I guess, try to lead a normal life with outside of cycling? Yeah, that was um, my choice also to sign with the French team. 
for my first contract uh, because um, it was a lot of expectation already on me uh, when I was uh, in the young categories as a, also a Walloon rider. You know, it was like uh, I was the first uh, big uh, rider after Frank Vandenbroek, you know, coming from the south of Belgium. So everyone was expecting me to do same or better than him and then so I said I, I signed for a French team so it's less pressure I, I will see less the, the Belgian media were known uh, to be really hard you know so I really wanted to avoid that so I did six years there and then when it was time to sign with uh, Francis de Jeux, uh, with uh, Lotto uh, I left uh, uh, to live in, in, in Monaco so I actually uh, always avoid them because uh yeah, I refuse a lot of interviews, you know, on, on uh, TV talk shows and things like that because, uh, you know, they, it's nice to have them, but it's also really dangerous because, um, you know, they, they can be really negative on you. And uh, I, di- I really didn't want this. And I want, I wanted to focus on my, my, my races, my life and not on this, you know. So that was, uh, my own tro- choice to avoid them, you know. And then you did spend some time in Belgium teams as well. Was it then a little easier? Speak your own language, the culture slightly different. Was it easier for you because you were a performer when you were a quick step? You know, you were the king of the world. So, or at Lotto, you were world champion. Was mm-hmm. that a little easier for you? Was it like a homecoming for you, being such a champion in your own country? Yeah, I, th- I think I like the, um, you know, it was all uh, Flemish teams, you know, Belgium teams, but from, uh, but from uh, Flanders. Uh, Lotto is also from uh, Flanders and the Quickstep also. So it was like this uh, Flemish mentality, which I, I like a lot for cycling because they have the experience, they have, uh, you know, this in the culture and uh, i i really go uh, go with them uh, when we speak about cycling and uh, i was always feeling good in this uh, environment and that, i think it was um, also reason why i was so successful with with you know flemish uh, people and also i could uh, learn their language and speak flemish so for me it was also nice to learn uh, something also from them not not only the culture and the motivation, but also the language, because at the end you need it uh, when you're a um, pro cyclist. Well, let, let's talk a little bit about the 2011 season. I mean, I, I went in and I don't want to take up about four to five minutes of reading every single race that you won that year, but let's just say you, you were dominant. You ended up that year number one ranked in the world. Um, you pil- pulled the, the Ardennes triple. Um, there was so much going on there. Belgian national road champion, national time trial champion, uh, st- won a stage of the tour and t- took the yellow jersey. What, what was it that clicked for you that year? Because that was the year where, luckily, I was three years retired, <laughs> but you know we were trying to race against you. And it was just like, man, this kid is unstoppable. Basically from Algarve all the way to the end of the year. Uh, what was it? The last race of the year. I think you won Wallonie. Wallonie, Grand Prix yes. Wallonie at the end of the year. What was so special? Was it the team? Was it the atmosphere? Were you just relaxed and happy in life? Or what What was that secret sauce back then? Um, I think I, I did 
I was really, um, you know, going better and better every year. Uh, so if you, I think we, we need to go back a little bit to understand uh, the steps. So in 2008, I left uh, Francaise des Jeux with a big win in Paris Tours, which was, which was like a monument almost, you know, like a really high level race. And 2009, uh, signed with Lotto. I, I won like few races. Uh, I was like... Uh, Really consistent in the spring classics. Uh, I think like uh, top five in in yeah podium in in Flanders, uh, fourth I think in in Amstel, fourth in Liège, uh, top ten in in Flesh, and you know like stepping really really a lot. And at the end of the season, I won Paris Tour again, Lombardy for the first time. You know, uh, first monument. You know, so this gave me um, a big motivation. And uh, 2010, I did also really good with uh, consistent again in the in the spring with uh, yeah a, a lot of top five. I guess I don't remember exactly, but uh, I was uh, again winning um, winning then um, Lombardy. I was top 10 in the world, you know, I was uh, getting better and better. And this gave me always a motivation to train better, to focus more and don't do mistakes in the finals, have a stronger team, which is we had because uh, they, they really trust me in the, in the team and they reinforce the team every year. And uh, yeah, we had a really good teammates, really good material. And then I had the confidence, you know, because, you know, when you win those races, you know that you can make it, it makes you stronger. And especially in the final, you know, when you come with uh, two, three guys and you know that, that you already won that race and he don't, you can put pressure on the guy, you know? So at one point you can say, okay, if you don't want to ride, no problem, we wait. They come back and then I still have my chance, but you maybe not, you know, so you can play this game, you know, and it's looked like nothing, but it's a lot of stress in these uh, situations. And when you win races, you can put pressure on the other riders. So I was always in a good situation. And yeah, like I said, also with Geipel, uh, he was uh, joining the team. And this guy is like, uh, for me, one of the the best rider uh, I met because he was himself really strong, but he was also a big leader into the team. He was always helping, always doing a lot of things. He was really giving a lot of energy to the team um, on the bike, off the bike. And yeah, with Hyper, we did uh, great things together. And um, yeah, I think he really helped me to also to find my, my position into the team uh, because uh, we were like... Uh, how do you say, like, uh, really um, able to race at like a state race, like he will go for the sprints, I will go for the uphill, uh, short uphill finish, you know, like we were like uh, able to to race without being like uh, riding, racing it against each other, you know, so it was really a good match. And yeah, I think Guyper was there for a lot uh, in, in the races, he was able to start with me, you know, you know, not in the Ardennes, of course, but on the other races, he was uh, really big, uh, really having a big role, you know. So and now I that think, you, 
I think also one thing it's like that uh, Valverde was uh, yeah was positive uh, already 2010, but they found out found out uh, after, so he got uh, suspended in 2011. So he was not there for the Ardennes, and without him, it was much more easier, you know, because uh, Valverde it's uh, it's a hard uh, rider to beat because yeah he's always following. You know, he'd never take any initiative, but he's always following the best rider of the day. And then when you come with him in the sprints, he's really strong. So it's he's a hard one to beat. So the fact that he was home training and, and, and suspended for doping, it was a big help for me. So now that um, you had such or so many successful years, if you look back at your career and somebody would give you one day where you could change something, One race, you go, do whatever you want. We give you all the power you want. This one race, which race, which day would it be where you go, yeah, I know exactly where I want to change something. Anything that comes to your mind? Yeah, of course, I think I would say San Remo. Oh, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, you know, I was always dreaming about this five monuments. Uh, this is something almost unreal. Uh and impossible to make happen but yeah i was dreaming about it um i didn't make it but i was close i was two times podium there but uh yeah a win there really gave me another dimension to the to my my palmares you know because then you you go with only the three uh you know uh riders who won this that so yeah to have been special I kind of had a feeling you were gonna you were gonna say that, um, but being world champion, winning you know multiple monuments, um, you know World Tour Classic victories, Grand Tour leaders jerseys, you wore the jerseys in all three of the Grand Tours, um, you know you you won stages in all three of the Grand Tours, but through. That whole 20 years, I mean, you were Francis de Joux, then Lotto, then BMC, then Quickstep, and then ended on Lotto. You know, it's, it's not all clear sailing, right? There's some ups, there's some downs. You would always find a way to, to win some races. But what is the, the pressure like changing teams, you know, country affiliations um, through those different stages of your career? Did you learn how to deal with that change and those pressures, you know, as you went or were, was every time that you switched teams, was there kind of like a new motivation? Because what I'm trying to get back to is 2017, you know, that was a pretty special year that not everyone saw coming. No, you know, to no, win. um, honestly, it was like, uh, every change was nice because it was my decision and The, the only difficult moments was like uh, when, you know, you find the bike and it's, it's not an easy, you know, position for you because every uh, brand have a different geometry and some bikes, it, it's hard to fit, you know, yeah, it's hard to find your own position. So sometimes you need months um, because also it's, uh, it's another saddle brand, it's another uh, pedal brand and it's big, big difference, you know, at the highest level. And uh, this uh, small percentage makes uh, makes it hard sometimes. But uh, it's true that in 17, I was jumping for the first time in, in November on the Specialized. And then 
you know, I was supposed to do a one and a half hour ride and I was feeling that good that I, I, I end up with uh, more than three hours, you know? So the first day I was like feeling so good that I said, oh, this bike is made for me, you know? So yeah, I was, it was helping me a lot, the material, you know? So I didn't lose any moment of uh, adaptation. I was going straight away into training mode. Um, and of course, uh, in this time with the best team of the world, uh, when, I, when I joined the team for the first uh, training camp, wow, the level was so high. It was uh, really impressive, you know, with uh, Bonen, Kittel, uh, Alaphilippe, uh, Dan Martin, Jungers, uh, all these guys, Gaviria, I think was there. Um, was, uh, yeah, was crazy because, uh, it was, uh, going fast on training, but like really organized, like, uh, almost German way, you know, <laughs> like always two by two, no one was moving. No one was, uh, saying anything. It was hard days, but no one was complaining. And we came back to the hotel and half of the group went, went, uh, again for an extra one hour or two hours sometimes uh, of training. So we end up sometimes with seven, seven and a half hour of training. So yeah, it was uh, a really good group to work with, you know, it was uh, really efficient. And for me, it was uh, important to race with Tom Bone in the same team because, you know, he's, he's a, another legend of cycling, especially in Belgium. And uh, yeah, for me, it was really special to be next to him in the same, same jersey, especially racing his last tour of Flanders. Uh, it was a great, great moment. You know, this moment we had to leave before the start with the, the clapping with all the public, you know, uh, getting emotional, all the media also. Uh, it was a, a unique moment because I think Tom was the icon of Flanders and he will still be for long because I don't think anyone is coming closer to his palmares in Flanders. This guy was like uh, really uh, a big champion there. So joining the team, you think you would feed off each other. You would help each other to become better. You would look at Tom, you train better. Tom looks at you, oh, I want to be better and I train better. Yeah. You trained a lot apparently, right? Yeah, we, um, yeah. So I guess that's the reason why the team is so good. They work hard in the spring already. Yeah, I mean, it was like um, hard, but really good organized. It was also not, I, I think it's an, also in BMC, we were training a lot, sometimes even more, but the quality was not the same in, in because we were like maybe more um, racing each other. Uh, here it was more really respecting the training, you know, going hard, but not crazy hard. So you didn't kill yourself, you know, in BMC, I've had a feeling sometimes that, uh, we went too hard and, you know, in, in place of going up, we went a bit down and then, you know, the, the fatigue was maybe too much. And, uh, because I was always in the, in the classic group, you know, the, the, the group with, uh, all the guys for the classics and it was also a strong one. And, uh, yeah. I think that the fact that we had uh, so many sprinters also in, in, in quick step was uh, also a reason why uh, we didn't kill each other, you know, because, you know, you have to take care of them in the climbs. You go hard, but not too hard because, you, you know, the, the goal is to, 
to stay together sometimes, you know, so it was a really good balance. It's really starting to feel like winter around here. And I know that when most people think about trail forks, they think about mountain biking season. But there are also a ton of features and layers geared for winter activities like fat biking, Nordic skiing, snowshoeing, and snowmobiling. Right now, you can get global access to the app with 30% off for our final sale of the holidays. If you're headed out fat biking or Nordic skiing, use the snow grooming layer to find trails nearby. You can also check the snow forecast right in the app. See slope angle and the avalanche forecast and filter the map for whatever kind of winter activity you've got planned. And of course, you get favorite features like the popularity heat map and trail reports. This 30% off deal is for Trail Forks Pro with Outside Plus. So you will get all the goods from the outside network. Unlimited digital content, films and TV shows, and expert-led online courses. Get it for yourself or gift it to your buddies without worrying about shipping over the holidays. Find out more and get 30% off for a limited time at trailforks.com slash podcast. Tell me a little bit about your relationship with the Cowberg. I mean, you've won Amstel Gold four times. You won the world championships there. Why is it such a magical place for you? What What is it? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's like uh, the length, uh, the gradients, um, the way, the approach, you know, um, everything is, is, is perfect there for me, for my, for my capacities, you know, because, you know, my best is the, the one, the one minute, one minute 30, even two minutes are really high on, on, on watts, you know, like I, I can go really deep. Uh, I think you still have my file from uh, the Amstel uh, 14 <laughs> and it was quite impressive, you know, uh, the watts I was pushing over uh, the Koberg after more than six hours. And, you know, this is, this is a climb I could, I could go on, on really heavy, um, gear and still be able to pedal after that, you know, because, uh, that year, for example, in 14, the finish was like, like, like in the world's, you know, two Ks further. And it's not that you have to give everything and, and stop pedaling on top. You know, you still have to go, uh, to this, uh, this final, uh, long last kilometer straight. So you need some reserve and yeah, it was always uh, shooting me really good. I remember that even as a rider going against you, we exactly knew you're going to go. Yeah. Still, we couldn't do anything against it. We could almost make a line on the road. Here is where Philip Schilbert will attack <laughs> five hours from now. And you did, and still nobody could catch you. Uh, you were the king of the cowback. It was really impressive, I must say. Um, it was a really impressive way of you winning on that climb. Yeah, but um, Bobby was my trainer for two years now, Bobby. Yep. Right? Two years. So, yeah, I, no, was, I did a lot yeah. of this, this efforts, you know, on training, like the one minute all out. And it's like, you know, it's, it's really painful, but it's also taking, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of your mental, you know, because it's so hard, so painful that it's not that you can do this every day if you want to do it in, in quality. 
So yeah, I had to focus and sometimes it was on the planning, on the training, but I, I was not feeling, you know, ready mentally to do it. So I said, I, I do it the next day because, you know, when you do this, you want to do it like really good. But still, I was like doing a lot of these trainings, these efforts. And, you know, it's the only way to to be good is to do it a lot of times. It's like everything, you know. Um, so I always work uh, this point And yeah, I really I was really hurting myself a lot in the one minute efforts. Well, we're not here to remind yourself, uh, you of how much you used to hurt yourself because uh, I was riding with George Hincapie the other day, and he he mentioned that exact same thing. Like, there you would be on a ride at BMC. He was your teammate for a while, and, you know, you guys would just be tooling around, and then all of a sudden, bang, Philippe would be like, you know, a thousand watts for like, you know, a minute, minute and a half. And he was just like, God, it was just such a a change from our pace to his pace that it was unbelievable. So, you know, let, let's, uh, you know, put that on the back burner. Those, you know, you're retired on the other side of the barriers now. But you've written a book, and I'm always intrigued when people write books, right, basically right as they're retiring, because you're always like, retiring is a big step. So, and it seems like you're very, very happy with that. So tell us and our listeners the name of your book, where we can get your book, and a little bit about the process of writing that book. For me, it was nice to to do a last book uh, with uh, it's a book with uh, pictures, you know. So we we have uh, over one hundred fifty pictures uh, over over the six years of uh, young category and then also twenty years of pro cyclist. So there is a lot of uh, you know nice image emotions coming back because you know uh, we we also did it. Um, with uh, a journalist and you know he will show me the pictures on the last moment and i will comment them you know uh so i was it was like kind of a, a surprise you know and i think it was it's the best way to give your emotions back because if it's like if you choose yourself the pictures and you comment them then the, the you know the surprise is not there and you 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 do your own choice which is not always the best so i think with what we did was a really nice deal and nice way to do the book you know and uh, i was uh, sometimes uh, emotional you know because i found like pictures from my, myself when i was uh, 15 my first win uh, first win ever things like that it's nice because you see also your first fans your family and you know the small village where you were racing back in in belgium back in the days so th these are all nice things yeah and how long did it take you uh, was it a process of one year or five years or just three months no we did a few meetings uh, but every time it was like uh four three to four hours you know because you need that uh to get into the you know to feel relaxed you know when you start it's really starting after I will say after 30 minutes, 40 minutes, then you become really good and better. So it was uh, really efficient. And we did a few of them. Uh, every time when I was in Belgium, tried to find a moment in the evening between two races or after race, you know, so it was, uh, yeah, good, good relation with uh, Stefan, the journalist. And for our listeners, uh, it's 
Homage Gilbert, H-O-M-M-A-G-E-G-I-L-B-E-R-T dot com. Uh, it is the stocking stuffer time of year, so um, why don't you guys go and pick up a a, pic- uh, a picture book uh, documenting the career of, of Philippe Gilbert. It'll be, be a good one. But, okay, cyclist, author, you also run a bike shop, which you were running when you were pro. Um, how, how, like in the trenches were you with that, that bike shop and do you see yourself spending a little bit more time there now that you have a little bit extra time? Yeah, no, it was, um, it was a good opportunity that I had to buy the shop, you know, uh, from someone in Monaco and, you know, I, I develop it because, you know, as a pro cyclist, you know, exactly what people want and need. So I made, uh, you know, a good place for the passionated people with a nice bike, you know, race bike actually, and with the best material you can have. So we did something good, but, uh, it's, I always wanted to, you know, also keep it, uh, not too big, you know, because, you know, uh, if it's bigger then you need more time, you need more energy. And I didn't want to spend a lot of energy in this business. So I kept it like, uh, I would say uh, human size and it was a good business and I still have it, you know, but uh, it was a a good place also to meet all uh, other uh, athletes or the cyclists of Monaco and then always speaking about the race, about training and everything. So it was uh, also a nice place for to meet people, you know. So now that um, you're retired now, when you go to Belgium, does everybody recognizes you on the streets? Like, can you go to dinner or to the movies in Belgium and nobody recognizes you? And is that a good thing? Or you go, oh my God, I don't want to sign or take pictures or I just want to be at the movies or have a dinner with my wife. Is it a good thing or a bad thing that so many people going to recognize you? No, I'm still uh, really recognized a lot. Um, yeah, almost everywhere where I go, I, uh, at least in in Europe. Uh, but it depends the country. I would say uh, Belgium. They will um, they will come sometimes to your table and disturb you when you have dinner with your wife or with your friends, which is not always nice, you know, because it's not the right place, you know, to to interrupt. Um, but, uh, yeah, it depends in Monaco. It's a lot of respect, you know, they also used to be, to see much more famous people than me, you know, when they have the F1 pilots and things like that, uh, eating in the restaurant, they know that don't, don't have to go because they respect, you know, and in Monaco is more respect and more privacy. So this, I really appreciate, but in Belgium, I, w- I have to say, yeah, the, not everyone, but some, some people will uh, step into your privacy. And sometimes, you know, it's not easy because when you didn't have a, a dinner with your wife for two months and, and you go for dinner and, and they step into your table, that's not something that you like, but it's also part of, you know, the success, you know, you have to accept it. So I was never, uh, uh, negative with people. Uh, so I always did, you know, something because at the end, uh, you always have to 
remember that uh, you, as an athlete, you earn money because of uh, the success you have in the media and the people who watch you, you know, so it's not only your results, but it's also all this going around, you know, so we need people. And um, that's why I always accept uh, quite a lot. That's why I'm also really friendly with uh, the, the, the most of the people, you know, because I know that uh, we need each other. So, Philippe, you, you sound just so philosophical about stuff. And, you know, you, you've had an amazing image. Uh, you, you donated a lot of time with the UCI um, working on certain projects. But where do you see yourself in the future? I mean, is president of the UCI or general manager of Lotto Sudal in, in your future, you think? Or is this... You want to go hang out with your F1 driver buddies and, and drive cars fast for a while? No, like uh, now I'm an um, I'm, uh, uh, athlete represented uh, for, for the, um, you know, the athlete commission uh, for the road. You know? So I was elected last year in the, in the world by the riders, uh, male and female. And uh, because of this, now I'm, I'm doing a... Uh, quite a lot of meetings now in the UCI because I'm in, in different uh, commissions uh, for safety, for example. Um, we were like all, uh, all the family of cyclists in Monaco last week uh, for two days. And it was really interesting, you know, because we did a lot of uh, good work. And uh, I, I, I'm happy because I can give my experience over the 20 years of pro cyclist and of passionate of cycling, you know, so... I can give a lot of ideas to the different families, you know, because I realized that uh, when you speak to the organizers, they have a point of view. When you speak to the teams, they have another point of view. When you speak to the riders, they have another point of view. When you speak to the UCI, they have also another one. So at the end, we all work for the same event, but we don't see it in the same way. And that's, there is nice to 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 be able to interact you know because you can give like really the feeling of the riders what we need as a rider and you can also give them tips you know to to work better together and 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 have a better cycling you know so yeah we are i i feel that we are in a good way uh, because it's it's like Finally, after more than 10 years that I'm involved in this, is I feel that we finally speak together and we want to be, you know, more working together for, for cycling, which is not always the case in the past. It was more fights, uh, groups, um, yeah, different mentalities, yeah. And to just to uh, be uh, clear, you do not work specifically for the CPA, for the writers' organization. That's something different, right? So what exactly is your role? You're representative for all the athletes, but it's not the CPA, right? No, no, no. The C CPA. So this is also interesting because um, I, I would say 99% of the cyclists don't understand uh, the system of cycling. Um, so CPA is the syndicate. Uh, if it's right, the name in English, yeah, syndicate. Or right, professional riders organization, I believe. Yeah, so they uh, um, they protect. Uh, I would say the riders. Um, they do a lot of things, and they are independent. And then you have the athlete commission, 
there, there is a president, which is a, a woman, uh, and she supervised like, uh, all the disciplines. So I'm, I am, uh, the president of the, I'm the responsible of the athlete commission for the road. And there, when we meet, uh, for the athlete commission, uh, we have like, uh, the road mountain bike, uh, we have, uh, Andy sport, we have, uh, all the disciplines, uh, like really a lot, a lot, a lot. And there is also interesting meetings because, you know, I'm speaking for the roads, but, uh, we speak about our problems or our motivations. And, and for example, you have the, the descent, they speak about the, <clears throat> the safety, the helmets, you know, because they, for example, they want to have a uh, motor helmets for the moment because, uh, the, the, the tracks are much faster than in the past and the crash are heavier also. So they want more safety, uh, for the head, especially. So yeah, this, this is just a small example. And then when you go to the, to the meetings with the UCI, it's like, uh, also different, you know, so you speak, uh, about also different uh, problems, but it's like yeah, it's you, politics. It's uh, it's how it works in in the life, you know, for for a city, for a company, for any organizations it's like that. So it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, uh, you're absolutely right. You spoke like a true politician uh, right there. But you have two sons and a daughter. Um, would you like for? Alan or Alexander or Valentin to ride bikes in the future or race bikes in the future? Yeah, uh, actually, my son Alan is riding. Um, so he's in the, in the Federation of Monaco, but he's 12. So there is a, you know, south of France, there is a, almost no race. And it's uh, really little support from the Federation, so they don't do much. Uh, but I'm happy with it because um, I think it's it's good. They don't need too much pressure, and I don't want him to have pressure because he's really young, and I can feel that uh, yeah, they already compare him to me, and they expect him sometimes to do good. And you know, I repeat him many many times: just enjoy and don't look the results. Uh, and also, he, he doesn't do a lot of, of uh, races, maybe one or two by year uh, maximum. It's just tra training, and this is what I want, you know, that he enjoy. And yeah, if one day he say that he want to really go for for this sport, then I will support him. But if he go for another sport, I will also support him the same way. That's also how we did it with, with our kids, with my kids, my wife and me. And um, I, I found it hard when I went to bike races, Back in the days, at a bike race, everybody would recognize me. And then sometimes I had to say, listen, I love you all, but I'm here as a father for my son. Yeah. I'm not Jens Folk, the public figure. I'm not Jens Folk, the pro cyclist. I'm a father. I want to pick up the number for my son and tell him to warm up like this and this. So there are some, I would go and listen, people, I love you to pieces, but not today. Today is I'm here for, for my son. Uh, that That's got to be challenging, I guess, because you are a much bigger rider than I ever was. So, yeah, for sure, everybody wants to have a picture with you. And then, you know, your son goes, Daddy, where were you? I never saw you all day, you know? Yeah, but of course, it's normal. People want pictures, but uh, 
for me for myself there is no problem but uh, when they ask for him it's like it's more annoying because you know you don't want to 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 pose on the picture you know you just want to enjoy like with his friends and uh, and just ride the bike you know so but yeah i remember with with axel uh Merx, it was the same you know uh he he's a good friend and he always told me that uh he had a lot of expectation from uh, from the public from the other riders because his name was uh, Merx, you know so it's uh it's not always easy you know well phil i can see in the background that your either your son or your daughter and your wife uh it's getting late there so we want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's been such a pleasure to have you on. We wish you all the best in retirement. I know you're not just going to disappear uh, from the world of cycling. I have a feeling you're going to be right at the forefront because you're so passionate about it and have always been so professional. So thank you and your family again for allowing us this time today on Bobby and Jens. Thank you very much, guys. It was a real pleasure. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. And a huge thank you to Philippe Gilbert for being our guest. Thanks for listening. And please give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. The show was a Velo News production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne. And this episode was edited by Tim Mosa. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens and share your cycling stories with us. I know you have already heard a little bit about Trailfox Pro from Bobby and me, but it's our final sale of the holidays and I don't want you to miss out on 30% off. On top of global access to the Trailfox app, this subscription also comes with Outside Plus. That means you get benefits across the outside network. And as a member, you're supporting incredible projects like Pink Bike Racing. If you haven't checked out season three on Outside Watch yet, I highly recommend it. It's my kind of reality TV with 10 mountain bikers competing for $30,000 and a pro contract. Outside Watch also has more than 600 hours of member-only content, including every Warren Miller film ever made. And you get full access with Outside Plus. I know what I am doing over the holidays. This is our last sale of the holidays, so get it for yourself or gift it to your buddies. And by the way, you don't need to worry about shipping. Find out more and get 30% off for a limited time at trailforks.com slash podcast.